Amen. Amen. Jesus is our living hope. So, I'm sure you're all excited um, for me to talk about giving. So, here we go. I, I mean, when it comes to giving, it strikes me that there are probably a few issues that might arise, or a few attitudes that might creep up. There are a few emotional responses that we might have, and that might be that it just feels like expectation. But the Bible says that we should be joyful givers, and expectation kills joy. We know that expectation kills joy. So giving should never be about expectation. So that's our first principle. It might be that you maybe it's like this sort of this thing that gets attached to guilt. It kind of creates responses or feelings of guilt in us. Like maybe we're not, we don't feel like we're giving enough or we're not able to do enough or we're not able to, uh, whatever it might be. Or you're being, there's some sort of pressure in it. But we know that guilt is not of God. So giving can't be about guilt. It might be that it kind of, plays into this whole idea of not good enough, that we have, to, if we have to do all the right things and we have to be good enough and we have to follow all the rules and we have to do all the things that God says. Otherwise, we're not good enough. Otherwise, God's going to be disappointed in us. We have to appease this sort of disgruntled God. But the Bible's very clear that God's not like that. So this isn't about being good enough. It might be that it stirs up feelings of resentment in us. But resentment is something that hardens us and shrinks us. And we know that's not what God has for us. God wants us to expand. God wants us to grow. So giving shouldn't be about resentment. It might be that it feels very much like control. And it might be that you've had experiences around giving that feel very much like control, power and control. But we know that power and control are the very things Jesus came to dismantle and overthrow. So giving can't be about power and control, or shouldn't be about power and control. So I don't know what emotions it stirs up for you. But I think that very often, our experiences, it can stir up emotions, it can have connotations, it can have um, links that are unhelpful for us, and the opposite of what God is like, the opposite of what God is calling us into. So I wanted to explore this morning a little bit about what is going on with giving, um, because it feels like there's lots of rules. And there are some rules, if you want to put it that way, and we want to explore these, but you know, there's this rule about tithing, give 10% of what you have, and there's this rule about first fruits that you give from the first part of the harvest, and there's this rule about considering the poor. And these seem to be the three things that God talks about in the Old Testament as in the law. These are the things that God talks about. But if they're not about guilt, and they're not about condemnation, they're not about power, and they're not about control, they're not about being good enough, and they're then what are they about and how do we learn to understand giving 
in a more liberating way. And to do that, I want to tell you three stories. So the first of these stories, I don't know if you ever see these things online, it's kind of like, oh, these 10 funny things or 15 funny things or whatever, and, and they give you lists. And, and there was one that I was looking at a little while ago, and it was um, complaints that people had made about holidays. And there was all sorts of things on there. The sand's the wrong color. No one told us there'd be fish in the sea. Um, that sort of, all the, all the people spoke Spanish in Spain, and that was a problem for some people. And there was, and there, I mean, one of my favorite ones was somebody said, oh, we've just been to the Caribbean, and our flight home took nine hours, and it only took the Americans three hours. We don't think that's fair. <laughs> Which seems an unusual complaint to have, doesn't it? And then somebody else said, complained, and said, when we booked our holiday, we requested a twin room. And when we got to the hotel, we found we'd been given a double room, and we're now holding you responsible for the fact that we're expecting a baby. This wouldn't have happened if you'd given us the room we asked for. People have all sorts of bizarre complaints. And one complaint said, it said in your brochure that there were no hairdressers at the hotel. But we booked it anyway, even though we're hairdressers. <laughs> but we think they knew because they were really slow with our service. It's a little bit of an odd story, isn't it? Because they thought that that was an exclusion rather than information. And they kind of go, oh, no, we're being discriminated against because we're hairdressers. Anyway, second story, very quick story I want to tell you. Um, there was a radio show in America. You might have heard me talk about this once before. There was a radio show in America, and this woman phoned up because um, she'd had a couple of incidents recently where she'd hit deer when she was driving on the freeway. And she noticed that... On both occasions, she had recently passed a deer crossing sign before she hit the deer. And she'd contacted the highways authority, and they'd done nothing with her complaint. So she phoned the radio show to say, why do they tell the deer to cross in all the most dangerous places? <laughs> Can't we ask them to cross in safer places? It just seems madness that we're asking the deer to cross the road on the freeway. People aren't allowed to cross the road on the freeway. Why are we letting the deer do it? Because she thought it was about instructions rather than information. The third story that I want to tell you um, is a bit of a YCC story. Um, a, while, a long time ago now, there were a couple of um, girls from America who were coming over, students from America, they were coming over. It's the first time outside of America, and they were coming to YCC for a little bit. And... Um, and they, people were giving them advice, you know, drink bottled water, don't drink the tap water, and don't, you know, whatever, always be polite. Or People were giving all sorts of travelling advice. And one of the bits of advice they were given was, if you're travelling together, pack, don't pack all your stuff in your own suitcase. Pack a bit of your stuff in each other's suitcases. Because if one of your suitcases gets lost, then you'll both have clothes to wear. Very good advice, and good advice, and helpful advice, because they took the advice, and it's a good job they took the advice, because one of their suitcases got lost. The problem was, they'd been very organized and put all their top halves in one suitcase, <laughs> all their trousers and skirts in another suitcase, so none of them had a whole outfit. You see, they'd understood the rules, but they'd missed the point. And when it comes to the law, I think some of these things are issues. They, I think that we have some misconceptions about the law. See, the laws, sometimes we think the law is all about exclusion and condemnation, rather than being about inclusion and liberation. And like those hairdressers 
who thought this was a law that excluded them and discriminated against them. Sometimes we see them as rules that, that we need to enforce or need to be enforced rather than guidance that saves us. Like the woman and the deer crossing. If you ever get a chance to listen to that phone call online, it's hilarious. It's on YouTube. Just put in Deer Crossing. It's one of the funniest five minutes you'll ever have. Anyway, third time, sometimes, just like the suitcases, sometimes we follow the law, but we miss the point. And this is something that very much happened um, in Jesus' time. And when his disciples were condemned for picking heads of corn, he goes, oh, you've missed the point of the law. And he condemns the Pharisees at one point. He goes, look, you, you tithe everything, but you've missed the point. You've missed the greater purpose of the law, which is justice and mercy. We can follow the rules, but miss the point. And these are all misconceptions of the law. You see, what's going on in the Old Testament is these Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years. Their culture is all Egypt. Their culture is one of slavery, of not enough, of oppression. They've lived in this culture that always needs more. You see, because what we see in Exodus is that they're building storehouses. And they're building, store, not just building storehouses, they're building store cities. Whole cities used to store. And, and archaeologists now are uncovering buried cities in Egypt that were entirely used for storage because they needed more and more. And if you go to the beginning, end of Genesis, God told them that seven years of plenty were coming, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph interpreted the dream and said, God says you should store up in the years of plenty so that you have enough for everyone in the years of famine. And he put Joseph in charge of that. And what Joseph did was store up in the years of plenty, but then sold the food to the people in the years of famine. And then when they'd run out of money, he took their land. And then when they ran out of land, he took their families and took, brought them into slavery. And this rule, this law, this guidance from God that was about liberation and freedom very quickly became about oppression and death. And the Israelites have grown up 400 years later in this culture. They've grown up in this culture and God has to save them. You see, God saved the Israelites geographically, but then he has to do the work of saving them socially and spiritually, saving them culturally. You see, it was one thing for God to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but he needed to get Egypt out of them. Egypt had become rooted in them, this culture of not enough, this culture of power. See, this Egyptian culture was always about never enough, so they amassed more and more, and they stored more and more, because they always had to have more. And they were never content, so they aspired for more all the time, and they couldn't find contentment because it was this big, mega power, and they always had to have more, so they would work and work and work and work and work, and they would never rest. And they had to appease this plethora of gods, this multitude of gods that they had to keep happy because if they didn't keep the gods happy then the gods would make the harvest not grow or they'd make the rivers not produce life or they'd make the weather destroy their crops or they'd, whatever, or they'd make their children sick or they'd, whatever the thing was if you didn't keep the gods happy then you would suffer and so they lived in this constant fear and so they never had peace and so they had to assume more and more power which meant that they never had enough so they had to amass more and more wealth because they had to protect themselves. Does any of that sound familiar to today's society? It's hardly out of date, is it? And in the same way God had to get Egypt out of the Israelites, God has to get Egypt out of us today. And so God has to get Egypt out of them. 
He has to get this culture of not enough out of them. And Jesus says, you know, one of the things he does, we get, we get Ten Commandments, and he says, you know, the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God, you will have no other God. He's going, don't worry about this plethora of gods, this multitude of gods that you have to keep happy. You have one God now, and this God wants to be in relationship with you. And then he says, every seventh day on the Sabbath, take a rest because they had lived in this culture of always working, never having a day off, never stopping slavery, oh, more and more and more and more and more. And God says, take a rest sometimes. Hang out with me sometimes. It was an act of rehumanization and liberation. By the time we get to the New Testament, it becomes an act of condemnation and control and power and oppression because Jesus' disciples are picking their heads of corn and the Pharisees are going, they're not allowed to do that. God condemns them for working on the Sabbath, which was never the point of the law. So Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This was always about you. This was always about liberation, not about rules and condemnation. This isn't a God that you need to appease. This isn't a God you need to pacify in any way. This is a God who wants the best for you. See, the law was always about liberation. It was freeing them from the culture of Egypt that had got rooted in them. It was freeing them from the dehumanizing slavery that had dominated their lives for generations. This law was about liberation and rehumanization and redemption. But very quickly, we make it about control and manipulation and power. So let's talk about giving. There was a survey done in America few surveys in America, but there's a survey done in America where they asked people who earn £250,000 a year whether they asked, whether they thought that they were high earners. £250,000 a year, a dollars a year, about £200,000 a year. Do you feel like you're amongst the high earners? 30% of people said no, they didn't feel like they were high earners, which might provoke this sort of response from you. Well, they didn't stop there. They asked a bunch of millionaires. People who had over one million pounds were asked, do you feel rich? Million dollars. Do you feel rich? 40% said no. A million dollars wasn't enough to make them feel rich. <laughs> what is that? But they didn't stop there. They asked multimillionaires. Now, this sample ranged from people who had $25 million all the way up to people who had $2 billion. Do you feel financially secure? $25 million up to $2 billion. Think about that for a minute. Do you feel financially secure? Over 50% said no. You ready for it? 50% said they didn't feel financially secure. So they followed that up with another question. And they said, how much more would you need to feel financially secure? And this is where it got interesting. Because they all answered within the ballpark of 20 to 25% more. Which is interesting, isn't it? They gave a percentage figure. So, because the math says that if you, therefore, if you got $20 million, 
then you're about $5 million away from having enough. But when you get that $5 million, you've got $25 million, and now you're $6 million away from having enough. All the way up to when you've got $2 billion, and you're half a billion dollars away from having enough. The more you get, the further away you are from enough. What is that? How can it not be enough, right? And it's easy for us to kind of go, what? What is that? But how different are we? You know, so I think sometimes when it comes to giving, we can kind of have this attitude of going, oh, yeah, okay, well, when I get that pay rise, then I'll be able to get my giving sorted. Because I just can't quite get it sorted at the moment because I've got a few pressures, I've got a few things going on, just waiting for a few things to come in. But when I've got that sorted, then I'll get my giving sorted. And then we get that sorted. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, the problem is, like, actually, we've not had this holiday for a long time. It'd be great to have this holiday or whatever. We need a new car or this has happened or this has happened or just waiting for my partner to get back into work or whatever it might be. And then we kind of go, oh, well, then, when that's sorted, then I'll get my giving sorted. And we get it all the wrong way round because we're only ever moving further away from enough the more we get. See, the more we have, the poorer we feel. The more we have, the poorer we feel. Which is a sobering thought. So enough isn't an amount, it's an attitude. Because we're always 20% away from having enough. Which tells you it's not an amount. It's not a set amount that says that's enough. Enough is an attitude. It's a perspective. And this is where the law comes in. So whether, you know, if, two, if you're earning $250,000 a year, you're th- only 30% of your people feel like that's not enough. But if you're a millionaire, then 40% of people feel like that's not enough. If you're a billionaire, 50% of people feel like that's not enough. So the more we have, the further away we feel. Which asks the question, do you feel poor? Do you live in a culture of not enough. If I could just get that sorted, if I could just get there, if I could just, if I could get that pay rise. Do we live in this mindset, attitude of not enough? And this is where the law comes in, because the law was always about liberation. God has freed these people from slavery, from not enough. Slavery is the ultimate not enough, right? More bricks, less straw. That was a story in Egypt. And God says, no, no, I've freed you from that now, and I've got you saved you geographically, but now I need to save you socially and culturally. I've saved you, I've got you out of Egypt, but now I get, need to get Egypt out of you. So we're going to work on this. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to give. Now, God, what God hasn't done here is overshot. What he hasn't done is gone, do you know, to be honest, guys, I could do with a chat. I, I just didn't think that whole part in the Red Sea thing was going to work. Um, and the plagues thing, I just didn't think he'd cave, but here we are. And um, to be honest, I've not really planned the journey to the promised land, and I'm a bit short of cash. So could you all chip in? Because, you know, in this together sort of thing. That's not what God's doing. God isn't asking them to chip in because he's short of cash. He's saying, I'm going to liberate you now from this culture of not enough. And the first thing he says is, start by giving 10% of what you have. Now, 
that was all then. 10% is a bit of an arbitrary amount. We don't tend to kind of go, we should all give 10% these days because actually we're in a different place and we're in a different time. But there's this principle here that God is talking about. He says, start by giving 10% of what you have. Because, you see, let giving be a habit. Because giving is the antidote to not enough. When you feel poor, and now, let me make a little note here. If you haven't eaten for three days so your children can eat, this is not about you. Come and talk to us, and we'll work that out with you. We'll make sure you've got enough food. I'm not talking about you when I'm talking about people feeling poor or people being in poverty. I'm talking about everybody else. When we feel like we haven't got enough, giving is the antidote to not enough. Giving is the thing that will save us. Because it challenges that mindset, that attitude, that culture that has got into us, that is all around us telling us that we need to have more to be successful. We need to have more to be happy. The antidote to that lie is to give. So let's be givers. Generosity is a habit that will save us. Giving is a habit that we should get into, which is why the standing orders are so good, because that's habitual giving. It's not just giving however much we feel in the moment. It's a habit. It's setting up a culture of consistent giving. And habit is a good thing. So generosity is a habit that will save us. And that's the first principle that we get from this. So let's be people who establish the habit of giving consistently, organized way. But then God says, in addition to this, give of your first fruits. And what he's talking about here is like, as you, as you harvest, the first produce that you harvest, give it away. Don't wait until you've taken the whole harvest in. Give the first part of what you take and give it away before you've even got the rest. And I think the principle that God is getting at here is in addition to giving, be a habit, into giving being a habit, giving should be an instinct. It should be an instinctive reaction to receiving because it's a recognition of how blessed we are. So as well as being a habit, we should give as an instinct, which is why we've got Shured here today, helping us around the app and the, in the giving, which is why we want to increase text giving, or introduce text giving, because we want this, this moment in our gatherings where we come together to be an instinctive reaction. So we can give by habit with our standing orders, but we can also give instinctively. And I think sometimes we can feel, and it's certainly true for me, I kind of go, well, I just give, I give every month. I give, you know, by standing order, it comes into my bank, it goes out of my bank. I give. So I don't need to think about the offering on a Sunday morning because I already give. But I've, all I've done is I'm doing the habit, which is great because that saves us. But the instinct, it's a great instinct to develop. And we can all participate in the offering on a, mor- in a Sunday morning as well as giving by standing order. We can, all, we, can, we can respond instinctively when we meet people, friends or people out in the community who are in need. We can have an instinctive response to that. In addition to the habit that we form. So giving should be an instinctive reaction. And generosity is an instinct that will expand us. 
And as well as that, God says, consider the poor. And this is the genius bit. So I'm going to tell you another little story. So a few years ago, Rachel and I were on holiday. We're on a holiday with some friends of ours, good friends of ours, Nigel and Deb, some of you will know them. And we went to Croatia. And when we were in Croatia, one day we decided to hire a little putt-putt boat to go around the coast a little bit and go and exploring. This weak little thing that barely went at all. But we had a lot of fun. And we, so we went off on this boat... And we go around, we went to this marina, and we, we go into this marina, and in this marina is this beautiful yacht. Stunning. Five decks, sleek lines, blacked out windows, jet ski on the back, just beautiful. However, what was interesting about this is the harbour master, in his wisdom, had decided to dock or park or whatever you do with yachts between two bigger yachts. One had seven decks and a couple of jet skis and a speedboat and more sleek lines and more blacked out glass and more beautiful. And the other one, I think, had even more decks and had a helicopter on top. It was, I mean, it was ridiculous. Which presents the owner of the first yacht with a dilemma, right? Does he look up or does he look down? Does he look up and see the bigger yachts on either side of him and go, huh? I've not got enough. I need that. I need more decks. I need more jet skis. I need more helicopters. I need submarines or whatever else comes on yachts. Or does he look down and see me and Rachel and Nigel and Debbie in our little putt-putt boat and go, actually, I'm doing all right. Now, we're not poor. By any stretch of imagination, we're on holiday. We're having a lovely time. But the perspective is everything, right? Does he look up or does he look down? And when Jesus says, consider the poor, what he's saying is in a world that teaches us to always look at those who have more and feel dissatisfaction, do a 180, look in the opposite direction. God invites us to look the other way and consider those who have less. Change your perspective. Look after those who have less. Spend time with those who have less because it will change you. It will transform you. I don't know what your contexts are, but generosity is a perspective that will connect us. So generosity is a habit that will save us. Generosity is an instinct that will expand us. Generosity is a perspective that will connect us. What are the contexts where we connect with those who have less? It might be that you go out on mission. It might be that you volunteer in the, one of the, in the food bank or in the job club or in the families, your family's work or whatever else. But what are our contexts? You see, giving wasn't a condition of their salvation. God wasn't going, okay, I've got you out, I've saved you out of Egypt now, but I'm not going to save you properly until you give. It wasn't a condition of their salvation, but it was a path of their salvation. It was a part of their exodus. God saved them geographically, but he needed to save them socially and culturally. God got them out of Egypt, but he needed to get Egypt out of them. See, giving isn't an expectation or a demand, it's an invitation it's an act of liberation. 
And when we think that somehow God demands giving of us or there's an expectation that goes in there, expectation steals our joy. It's an invitation to liberation. We are created to be givers. And when we become consumers, we never have enough. Because we are created to be givers, to be blessed, to pass on that blessing. So, here's where we're going to finish. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this, and this is a great passage for us to finish on. Here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Now you'll see, next to stingy sower, there's a little brackets and a little C, and what that means is that there might be some context there for us to understand. And the context is that the Aramaic phrase that is being referred to here says... He who sows while his barns are full of seed. He who sows while his barns are full of seed. A stingy sower. person who's keeping more seed in the barn than he's sowing on the ground. He who's storing up his wealth and sowing sparingly. Will reap a meager harvest. But the one who sows from a generous spirit, because this is all about attitude, this is all about our heart, the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart. This isn't just an act that we obey. It's a heart issue. It's a spirit issue. It's a culture. It's an attitude. It's a habit. It's an instinct It's a perspective. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. All because God loves hilarious generosity. Hilarious generosity. How many times do you break out into laughter when you're giving? Now, maybe today, when you're trying to get the app to work, and it's kind of going, oh, I have no idea what happens here. Apparently, the bowls, it helps if the bowls are moving. So if it doesn't work, just move the bowl a little bit, and that helps. That, that kind of stimulates it. If you've got any questions, Sjord's going to be here. Just ask him. Take the chance today, because he's not coming from Holland every week. So take the chance today. Ask him. Make sure he works it out. He'll be here at the end. Do spend some time with him. But however... All because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you. More than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace. God is just waiting to pour out his blessing on you so that you will have more than enough of everything. God wants to be the source. What are we trusting in other things for? When God is waiting to bless us abundantly so we will have more than enough of everything. Every moment and in every way, he will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Just as the scriptures say about the one who trusts in him, because he is sown extravagantly and given to the poor, his kindness and generous deeds will never be forgotten. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant towards you. First he supplies every need plus more. Then he multiplies the seed as you sow it so that the harvest of your generosity will grow. 
you will be abundantly enriched in every way as you give generously on every occasion. For when we take your gifts to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God because this is all going somewhere. We saw the video of all the things that happen here. That's what we give to. The priestly ministry you are providing through your offering not only supplies what is lacking for God's people, it inspires an outpouring of praises and thanksgiving to God himself. For as your extremely generous offering meets the approval of those in Jerusalem, it will cause them to give glory to God, all because of your loyal support and allegiance to the gospel of Christ. I would like to change meets the approval of those in Jerusalem to meets the approval of those in Yeovil and Somerset and Dorset. When I have conversations with council leaders or with social services or with agencies or housing associations or whoever out in the community, one of the consistent conversations is, where do you get the resources to do all the things you do? And what I talk about is the fact that we are a generous (coughs) church. And the response is always fascinating. People can't believe that this group of people, that this community give to resource our community and bless our community in such a way. And I think when Paul's talking about here, he says, for as your extremely generous offering meets the approval of those in authority, of those in Yeovil, of those in Somerset, of those in Dorset, of those in the Southwest, it will cause them to give glory to God all because of your loyal support and allegiance to the gospel of Christ, as well as your generous-hearted partnership with them towards those in need. Let us be people. Let us be people who learn generosity as a habit, as an instinct. Let us be people who learn generosity as a perspective. Now, as we worship, these bowls are still going to be out here if you want to give. If you haven't brought your offering up yet, if you've already brought an offering up and you're going, actually, I want to give more. I want to give joyfully. I want to give as an act of liberation. I want to give, I want to now set up a giving as a habit. I want to give, I already give as a habit and now I want to give as an instinct. Whatever it might be, or I want to support the work. I want to give in a a gift of whatever, then feel free to do that. But also this morning, the response I would like us to make, if giving for you is a source of frustration, of resentment, of control, if giving for you is a thing that tangles you up inside, we would love to pray with you this morning that you can experience liberation. So as we stand, why don't we stand? Why don't we worship? Why don't we think about those words? If you need to come forward and pray, come forward and pray. If you want to come forward and give, come forward and give. But let's worship God together.